0: Welcome to Profiles, a three-part podcast that dives deep into the lives of promotional products professionals. Profiles is brought to you by Promo Journal, a division of Promo Corner. Promo Journal provides fresh, daily content from industry thought leaders. Blogs, videos, product features, and live content all in one convenient location. Weekly advertising opportunities are available. Contact sales at promocorner.com to get your message seen.
1: Hello, and welcome to our fifth series of Promo Corner's new podcast, Profiles, where we're talking with longtime industry professionals about their experiences and their take on the promotional products world today. I'm your host, Steve Woodburn, and thank you for taking time to listen. Our guest is Eric Levin, who now heads up the Decoration Services Division of Supplier Alpha Broder but who started in this industry working with his father before going on to create and build the supplier JetLine into a $30 million company. JetLine was always known as a value-priced line, and I asked Eric why they didn't start out selling higher-end products.
2: One thing you'll notice about this industry is there aren't a lot of young owners of top 25 companies, right? Well, what does it take to be a top 25 company? A lot of money. I didn't have the money, you know, my in-laws lent me $20,000 to start my business. And I used something called a consigned inventory model. So I had a few investors that would come in and they would, they would actually put the inventory into my buildings for me so that I could use my money to actually buy machinery and advertise. I was a top 10 advertiser with ASI doing, you know, $10 million in business at the time. Can you imagine that? Um, and so, you know, I had to bring in product that was proven that they could sell and turn quickly. Right. So you're not going to sell tons of a $20 knife back then or a cutting board. So the business started, you know, out of necessity and a lack of uh, financing, you know, I started the business that way. And then eventually, you know, we were in the process of swimming upstream. You know, when I sold the company, we were literally, getting getting there. We were, we were, we were, you know, I wouldn't say we had a lot of high-end stuff, but we were in that kind of six to ten dollar range. And our goal was to swim up, you know, and, and do a good, better, best brand. But you know, it's a cash cow. Think about what you're doing. You're in this industry, if you're importing from China, you are, you are wiring funds and getting delivery 90 to 120 days after you, you know, after, right? Well you're you're wiring funds, right? If that's assuming you have a relationship with a vendor. Then they ship it. Okay. So that's 30 days just on the water. Then you've got to sell it. So let's say it takes 90 days to sell it. Now you're up to 120 and then it's 30 to 60 days to get paid by your customer. And by the way, while all this is happening, you need to reorder more product. So this industry is, you know, unless you are capitalized intensely, it's just a really hard industry to break into. To answer your question, it was out of necessity. We would love to have have been a higher end company at the time. But it took us years to get to the point where we were even, you know, in the middle, you know, getting those five to ten dollar products took seven, eight years just to get to the point where we could even afford from a capital perspective to do any of that kind of stuff.
1: Jetline was based in the New York area, but it became clear to Eric he needed to make a change.
2: At, At our peak, we were in five different buildings because unfortunately, when I was young, I didn't understand when you sign a lease, you can't just get out of your lease. I've learned to put out clauses in all of my leases, but we, you know, we, I told you we moved from that original spot downstairs then we took the place across the street, but we just kept growing. So then we took room in, in a building on the, on, the, on the other side of the parking lot on the fourth floor. And then we eventually outgrew that and took space two miles away. So at our peak of being just not a very reliable supplier, We were like fighting with the moving guys for the elevator across the street to get our stress balls downstairs so we could decorate them. So what ended up happening is lo and behold, finally the stars align and I'm able to move. So we actually moved from Yonkers to Mount Vernon, New York, which is only about a 15 minute ride across the county, but we were in a hundred thousand square foot facility on two floors. So we did our manufacturing and our Kept our best-selling inventory downstairs, and then we had more of our less best-selling inventory and replenishment upstairs. And we would just drive a van. We didn't even have an elevator there. We would just drive a van down this this area, um, and it was working really well. Um, we were growing like crazy at the time. We finally, you know, we we had solved so much of our infrastructure problems of being in those random four different buildings and just how chaotic it was, and trying to get the inventory to decorate, and and we were. Growing like crazy, having great years, and then um, something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy happened. I ended up getting an email, a fax, and certified mail all within an hour saying that you have been unionized.
1: In reality, the company hadn't been unionized yet, but had been set up so the workers could vote on whether or not they wanted to join the union.
2: A guy came up one day and said, hey, I have one of these meal trucks. Can I come here and and when your people are out on break, can I, and I said, great, great for the employees. Yeah, sure, go do it. What I didn't know was that guy's out there doing that, but then he's tipping off the union that there's a a place with 100, I think we had 120 employees at the time. It doesn't sound like a lot of employees, but in the New York area, there's not a lot of people doing any manufacturing anymore. And 120 employees is, is, a, is a significant thing to, to, to try to do. So he goes back and then they end up getting something called Salters in. So they come in through the temp agency and then they go to organize you. So we went through the process um, and the story could be a very long story or a short story. I'll, I'll keep it a little short. Uh, long long story short, we ended up winning the, the organization, Um, our employees decided not to organize, and it turned out that the union that was trying to organize us was a pure mafia union that eight years later, um, the state of New York crime, whatever people actually, it was in the news that they were all arrested for organized crime.
1: While Eric isn't against unions per se, he soon learned this attempt to unionize his company was only the beginning.
2: And so afterwards, you know, thank God it's over. Um, I get a phone call about three weeks later saying, when are we going to start education again? And I said, what do you mean? And they went, oh, you're 120 employees. You'll be like 150 next year. They're going to come back here every year, exactly a year from the time that they organize you when they're officially allowed to forever. And so I just said, I I can't, I can't, you know, I I can't, I can't run a business like that with that kind of pressure. Um, So I ended up, I ended up um, going down south and I met with about four states and certain principalities and cities. And I think I started in Tampa and then I went to Orlando and Jacksonville, a couple of places in Georgia, a couple of places in North Carolina and the Charlotte area and a couple of places in South Carolina.
1: After scouting locations in the southeast, Eric settled on relocating to Gaffney, South Carolina, where there was a great labor pool, the perfect facility and financial incentives to help ease the move the town of gaffney organized a press conference to announce the move and it proved to be a bigger deal than eric anticipated
2: so i walk in and you know they i, I do the press conference and then and then um at the time i had decided i was going to become a gamecock fan because i from the northeast we don't really do college football and you're from pennsylvania is not, I mean, I was from the New York area. We, we don't, you, know, you have Syracuse, I guess, but not a big college football world. So I said, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking my pick here. I'm going to go with the Gamecocks, right? And the state senator says, son, you know, I, I heard you're, you're, you're a Gamecock fan. And he hands me the jersey. And then the, the other state senator says, son, you're making a big mistake. And then he hands me the Clemson jersey.
1: He soon learned about the water tower in Gaffney people refer to as the giant peach butt. And he was also given a nickname by the town residents who thought he was poor.
2: It was a very interesting experience being a guy from the New York area going to small town south. And I'm talking small town south. If you don't know Gaffney very well, I think it's about 15,000 people. And if you ever saw the, uh, the show House of Cards, there's a whole episode about the peach and he's from Gaffney. Well, that peach exists my my little apartment was uh right down the street from it and i used to go out and in the morning and drink my coffee and i'd stare at the peach down there so it was a it was you could have done a sitcom about this new york guy moving his business down into a southern city a southern town of fifteen thousand people my name was boss man by the way anywhere i went my name was boss man and i couldn't go anywhere in that town without seeing someone who called boss man how you doing if i walked into a walmart hi boss man if i went into a restaurant Hi, boss man. Anywhere that I went, I was a boss man. I was relatively thin guy, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm in the plant one day, and somebody comes up to me and he goes, "Boss man, why are you so po?" I'm like, "What?" He's like, "You po?" I'm like, "Oh, I, I mean, I don't consider myself poor. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm running a business here. I mean, I know where you know things are a little tight at times, but down in South, if you're really, really skinny." You're referred to as poor because, like, you don't have enough to eat.
1: Moving the company aided in its continued growth. But there came a time when Eric's gut told him it was the right time to sell.
2: Yeah, so we, we ended up, I think it was 2013, we ended up putting in a new software package. Um, and the software package just changed the game for us, like, from a service perspective You know, we were always a low cost provider. We didn't have, we had good service when there were an issue with an order, but in general, we weren't known for being a great service company. Um, And the software just changed everything for us. And we had a really, really good run, both profit wise, growth wise. Uh, We started winning awards and I had a a minority partner and, and we would always talk about it every year. And I said, I said to him, I th- I think this is it. I mean, this industry is going to consolidate. We are a me-too supplier. We didn't have that much that was you know proprietary to us. And I felt like you know pigs get slaughtered. It was the right time. We were hot. Um, I didn't even put the company really on the market. I actually uh, I actually just started with feelers. The first person I called was Jeff Letter. Um, you know, I live in Westport, Connecticut. Their company was in Bridgeport. Over the years. You know, I always, again, I had a lot of respect for Prime and, and, and the letter of family and the way that they grew that business. And I said to him, you know, I'm ready to sell. This is the number that I need after taxes. And if we can come to that number in some way, shape or form, we, we, let's, let's make a deal. And I think we can have some fun together and grow this thing. And it was the right time to do it. Um, listen, the reality is Prime got bought three years later by Alpha Broder. So the consolidation is happening and I don't honestly think, you know, if, if, if I didn't do it at that time, I'm, the opportunity may have never come. You know, there, there, there were going to be some partners who got to dance together, and I didn't want to be sitting in the chair with no partner to dance to. Strike when the iron's hot. Every, everything, all my spider senses were telling me it's time to sell. It's the right, it's the right time to get this done. And, 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 and I look back on it, and I honestly, I have no regrets of doing it. It, it was the right time. Uh, to get it done. I I never thought I'd still be in the industry right now, but uh, it it was the right time to get it done.
1: He stayed on with Primeline as an executive vice president, and then Prime was acquired by the apparel company Alpha Broder. Eric was put in charge of building out the company's decoration capabilities for both apparel and hard goods, the position he holds today as executive vice president of decoration services. With his background, Eric has a unique perspective on this industry. And we ask him where he sees it going over the next five to ten years.
2: Well, I think right now, you know, I think one of the bigger trends to the industry is brands, right? Bringing, bringing brands from out of this industry into this industry is a focal point of uh, many, many suppliers um, and distributors of this industry. So I think, you know, I think the industry is going to continue to Get more associated with with brand names. Um, I think that's one thing that's going to happen. Uh, I, you know, I, I always think there's going to be room for the for the smaller distributor just because the 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 overhead is so low to be in the business, right? I mean, you have to basically have an, a house and a computer and 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 a network. So I don't think you'll ever see that go away. But do do I think consolidation is going to continue to happen on both fronts? I do. I think. I think you're gonna to start to see more and more consolidation on the supplier side, there's no doubt about that. Um, and I think the indus- on the distributor side, you're seeing it as these aggregators start to, to put together business models that, that help that, that, that distributor continue to be profitable. So I think, what, where do I see it? I, I see continued um, consolidation. You know, our industry is usually a year or so behind the online retail world. So I would I would assume that next year, it wouldn't stun me if, if you saw that the web distributors of this industry, the online players are up 11% because we usually trail by one year. So I think you're gonna see, you know, the web distributors continue to take market share. I think you're gonna see these aggregators and the ones that are building out these massive networks of distributors continue to grow. And then I think you're gonna still see those really small guys. I get nervous for the medium-sized companies. I don't. I don't know where that's going to go. I don't. I don't know how that that competes. You know, those they were very regional. They had very regional customers, and the web's kind of attacking them in, in that front. And then the big guys are starting to take salespeople. So I think I think the low end, the small, the smaller ones survive, and the bigger ones survive. And I think the middle is where the real question is.
1: As someone who built a company over a twenty-year period. What does he see as the number one trait an entrepreneur must have?
2: I mean, when you look up entrepreneur, the word risk comes up a lot, right? <laughs> you have to be willing to take risk. A successful entrepreneur doesn't fear risk; they don't fear change. Um, they embrace change. Um, that's a tough. That's a. That's a. That's a tough question. I. I, I would say. If I had to stack, stack rank it, it, it's it's risk number one, and 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 a lack of fear, number two, and the ability to embrace change, number three, and I think I think one of the biggest mistakes that some people make that aren't successful entrepreneurs is they aren't able to eventually break away, decide that there are people a lot smarter than them, and let them start running the business. For you, more, you know you can take it to a certain point. And then there comes a point where you either need to decide, I'm not gonna micromanage the living crap out of this thing. i'm gonna I'm gonna bring in some really smart people and let them help me run this business. And I think good entrepreneurs take it to that next level because they're able to check their ego at the door and 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 be able to 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 let that happen. And I think the entrepreneurs that fail or stay stagnant, are the ones that need to micromanage everything and be involved in every part of the process. Um, and And they're the ones that can take it to a certain level, but they never get past that point.
1: In our next and final episode with Eric, he has some advice for newcomers to this industry, tells us what he's most proud of, and talks about the time JetLine got sued.
2: I got sued by two competitors in this industry for what they said was willful patent infringement. Willful patent infringement means that your intent is to break a patent.
1: From all of us at Promo Corner, thanks for listening to Profiles. I'm Steve Woodburn, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to Profiles. Join us again as we continue to explore the lives of people who have impacted our industry. Profiles was brought to you by Promo Journal, a division of Promo Corner. Promo Journal provides fresh, daily content from industry thought leaders. Blogs, videos, product features, and live content all in one convenient location. Weekly advertising opportunities are available. Contact sales at promocorner.com to get your message seen.